For the past 20 years, you've enjoyed the refreshing tropical lime flavor of Mountain Dew Baja Blast. So in celebration of this milestone, we're bringing Baja Blast in stores nationwide. And for a limited time with every purchase of Baja Blast, you can collect coins for a chance to get Baja gear or a Taco Bell deal. 2024 is the year of Baja Blast. In stores now, no purchase necessary. Open to U.S. residents 18 plus. Subject to official rules at BajaBlast.com and 615-24. Void where prohibited. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Are you listening? Damn. And welcome into another episode of the Damn Podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network and powered by BeaverBlitz.com. I'm your host, Carter Baines, joined today by Spencer McLaughlin from the Locked On Pac-12 podcast. He hosts that and another show, which I'll let him introduce uh, at his <laughs> at his own will and, and see what happens in the YouTube chat when he says uh, that when he mentions the team that he covers a little bit more in depth. But uh, Spencer also a... Play-by-play uh, -play broadcaster for Southern Utah, multi-talented, uh, very well versed in the Pac-12, and that's why we've brought him on here for this episode of the Damn Podcast for some way too early Pac-12 football power rankings. Spencer joining me uh, and and giving Angie the week off. She'll be back next week as we record uh, probably another mailbag episode. But we wanted to to get Spencer into the limelight here uh, because he and I have become. Uh, very well acquainted with each other's knowledge of the Pac-12, and I figured he was the man for this job. Uh, so again, Angie will be back with us on Monday. We'll probably do another mailbag. Um, but before I introduce Spencer here and we get rolling with our Pac-12 power rankings, just want to let everybody know that we do have a deal going on at beaverblitz.com. You can take 30% off your first year of an annual subscription. Uh, this is for new members only. This comes down to $6.27 a month. A great deal if you want to get started on beaverblitz.com. Uh, of course, the damn podcast coming from Beaver Blitz. And, uh, and that is where you can find even more of uh, Angie and Angie's and my content uh, on the 24-7 Sports Network there at beaverblitz.com. Again, 30% off your first year uh, as a new member. All right, Spencer, tell the people about you. Let them know why you are uh, why you're here on this episode to to talk Pac-12 because uh, 
you uh you're like i said very well versed in the in the conference and um yeah tell them tell them your experience let them know who you are a little bit yeah, I uh, I host Locked On Pac-12, which is Monday through Friday on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcasts, examining the conference as a whole. And then I also host Locked On Ducks. And I, I'm just hoping that my listeners and followers over there will forgive me for coming on this uh, particular channel. And they won't, uh, maybe they won't find out, you know, may, maybe it'll be one of those things that just gets lost into the internet ether and, and they never know. But you came on Locked On Ducks once, and so I, I felt like returning the favor was uh, was more than than appropriate and whatnot. But yeah, I've been looking at the the conference almost exclusively for football since I started hosting the show. You know, I've mixed in a little basketball here and there, but Pac-12 basketball, as Beaver fans unfortunately know, is nothing to write home about at, at the moment. They're looking like a four bid league, which I think is high to be honest. And so it's it's been a lot of football coverage and looking at all the, the transfers and the coach moves and talking about Coach Prime, who we'll get to at some point. I, I think it's a really, really exciting time to be a Pac-12 fan because this 2023 is going to be probably the most interesting year in the conference that I can remember. You have UCLA and USC departing, but then you have just so many other headlines. And I don't think there's really an uninteresting team. Like if I asked you who's the least interesting team it's probably cal or, or stanford who who are going to be closer to the bottom of our power rankings i imagine at least they are for me but uh, again i don't find those programs completely uninteresting especially since cal just gave justin wilcox a, a contract extension after a, and that then he followed that up by going four and eight so i, I think there's there's just so much to get to with this league and i, I love hosting the show and it's great to be on with you as always Nice little insight there into to Spencer's Pac-12 knowledge. Just dropped all sorts of tidbits right there. So uh, <laughs> you can be sure that his power rankings are going to come 100% true when these teams hit the gridiron in about six months. Uh, we are doing this very early. Like I said, this is the definition of way too early power rankings. So uh, There's still another transfer portal window. Yeah. Where, where players can be added or players can leave. Like, I think it's fair to assess where the teams are now, but it could 100% change by the time late August rolls around. Absolutely. Uh, if we were ranking our, uh, our Western Athletic Conference basketball teams, uh, Spencer, I know Southern Utah, uh, you know, I, I, I haven't followed them closely, but I know you do as, uh, as their play-by-play voice uh, on, on ESPN+. Plus. Um, if you haven't watched any Southern Utah basketball, it's a good way to go support Spencer. I recommend you do it. He's very talented. Um, Spencer and I actually, you know, we go back, what, probably six months now at this point. Uh, Spencer is actually a, a, an Oregon native himself, hence the, the, the locked on ducks. Um, you know, that, that whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that that whole thing. I, I grew up in, in Lake Oswego, which is nice to be able to say rather than Portland and then wait to see if someone hears, oh, where in Portland? Because if you just say I'm from Portland, they say, oh, nice. Then, you know, you've never been there a day in your life yeah. because every place is, is so, so very different. But yeah, I grew up in, in Lake O and then I went to Santa Clara for my undergrad and then I worked at a junior college in Oklahoma and then got here to Southern Utah, got with Locked On and have just kept doing more and more and more. And I actually just started a, a daily one hour sports talk radio show at the Fan Sports Network in St. George as well. So I've got uh, three jobs at the moment and they pay me far less combined than most people make at one. <laughs> Busy man. right? There. I'm Busy not in it for the money. Involved. Let's just put it that way. 
Are any of us in the sports industry in it for no, the money? No, yeah, I no, don't. I don't think any of us got into it for for the money. When people tell you like, "Oh, you should get into this," no one says it's financially lucrative and you will come out making buku bucks. No one has ever said that in the history of humanity. <laughs> uh, Spencer also, uh, you know, just a, a couple of of random tidbits on on Spencer. If you're really interested, what this guy's like, avid golfer. I'd, I'd call him a movie buff. Always uh, trumping me with his his mm. knowledge of of the uh, cinematic universe uh, and also would lose to me in a game of horse. Should we hit, uh, hit the <laughs> basketball course? And I'm going <laughs> to let him not comment on that <laughs> as we move into oh, our wow. power rankings. And I'll go ahead and set the stage. While he it's like that. that. It's like that, huh? Boy, I'm showing no mercy. Once we get together, once we, once <laughs> we get together to play that game of horse, you are going to lose H O R S E to H O so bad, so bad. Oh, it's going to be great. Yeah, this is uh, somebody. Somebody actually brought this up in, I think it was the, the comment section of one of the episodes that I want on uh, on the pack, locked on Pack Twelve with with Spencer. You know who would win in the game of horse, <laughs> and now every episode that we've done together since then, we've we pretty much started with that. So uh, it'll be nice to get that settled on the court eventually. All right, we came here with a job to do. We're going to rank all twelve teams in the Pack Twelve, and let's uh, let's set the stage for that a little bit. So we're going to go from twelve to one. Obviously, save the best for last. Uh, reminder: these are power rankings, not projected standings. What we think will happen, uh, how we think they should be, you know, ranked entering the season. This is, you know, do we think this team is better than this team, or is this team, you know, worse than this team? This is basically that's that's what we're going off of here. Um, we will make a pick at each rank and then move on to the next one. So I'll give my 12th ranked team. He'll do his and then we'll move to 11. I'm going to try to spend around uh, two minutes each on on each person's pick so that we get out of here in an hour. And then we'll take a quick break midway through, uh, catch our breath, and, and we'll come back with the second half. But let's get things started, Spencer, uh, here with our projected number 12 team. And I imagine we're probably going to have the same pick here. I'll get things started with Stanford, which I think was arguably the second worst team in the Pac-12 last year. Obviously, Colorado was was far and away the worst. Uh, you could argue probably one of the bottom five to ten teams in all of college football. Um, but I think Stanford was was right there with Arizona State as the second worst team. And the thing that I that I just I'm, I'm so concerned about with the Cardinal is Troy Taylor. I think could be a pretty decent hire, uh, offensive. Uh, you know, off- offensive coach, kind of an innovator, um, and 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 made some things happen in a very short amount of time at Sacramento State. They bring him in; he's familiar with the territory. Uh, but I worry about his ability to turn this program around and get them out of the cellar without having some of the same assurances that um, are given to some of the public school coaches, or you know, places where the transfer portal is is a little bit more in play. Um, I, I think the Cardinal has talent. I think Troy Taylor can unlock with some of that if his scheme proves to be uh, beneficial to um, to that program. But I just worry about his ability to bring them out of the cellar and particularly to do it quickly because this isn't this isn't the kind of coach you can go to the portal, get five former five stars onto the roster right away and turn them into a, a middle of the road Pac-12 team like a Deion Sanders might be able to or a Kenny Dillingham. I just think the situation's different, and that's why I see Stanford. Kind of remaining there at the bottom of the Pac-12. I, I'm with you. I also have Stanford right now at number 12, and I don't expect that to change because 
What I mentioned earlier is that well, this could change from now until uh, the end of, or the beginning of this season in the fall because there's another portal window. But Stanford, even more so than Cal, just can't use the portal. They they haven't been able to yet, and, and they're adding at this point in time one transfer in the 2023 class. And that's just not enough. And if Stanford is going to be serious about football, and I, I think it's entirely possible they become a Maryland or Rutgers unless they can change course where they're just perennially at the bottom and every now and then they'll blip up to the middle of the conference but can't get back to the top because of just the transfer portal era. I, I don't think the NIL is holding them back. It's their inability to add talent, to address needs, to bring in just a large number of players. They have one of the lowest ranked recruiting classes in the Pac-12 by rating and by volume. And that's indicative of how hard it is to bring talent there. Now, they they still do have potential. David Shaw was recruiting at a top 25 level consistently until things really started to fall off because they can go to any school. And if you know a school's best athlete cares a lot about academics that Stanford offer is going to stand out above all the others including Cal so that that's a potential benefit but I think it's now become even more of a hindrance with, with the portal being so prevalent for teams you look at what USC has done you look at what Oregon has done in, in the portal you look at what Oregon State did with uh, DJ Uyunglele coming over from Clemson they can't just add players at will just because they're a football fit so I think it's really tough. And you hit the nail on the head talking about Coach Taylor. He may very well be a good coach. I don't know what his offense is going to look like. He had a two quarterback system at Sacramento State. Don't think that's particularly sustainable at the power five level, or if that's even what he wants to do. But this is a guy who has to be given time. He has to be given three years minimum to to get things going in, in a positive direction. I think it's a tall order in front of him. And they were just, they were not good. And Tanner McKee declared for the draft. So they're getting a different quarterback. And they, yeah, I, I don't feel good about too many things about the Cardinal right now. They kind of lost their identity along the way when they lost David Shaw. And even over the last couple of years of Shaw, they used to dominate in the trenches. They don't do that anymore. I've got Stanford at 12. Part of the reason I think that, that Stanford <clears throat> checks in unanim unanimously for us so low is that I, I just think that the ceiling is so low for this team. I mean, sure, their floor like it might be two to three wins, but their ceiling is probably only three to four. Um, you know, th this isn't a team that's going to lose every game. They're probably going to win multiple. Um, but, but I don't, you know, Spencer and I went on and went on the record and, and, and kind of, you know, looked through their schedule and, and picked out a couple of wins and, and things that we thought um, could break their way. And, and we couldn't come up with more than four and, and that was being generous. Yeah. So I think that's why it's such a safe pick is that, you know, this team is, is probably going to win two to three games, but there really aren't any opportunities to get any more than that. Um, I, I think as we move into to the rest of this list, you'll see some of these teams maybe have low for low floors and, and that's why they maybe finish 11 or 10 on our list, but they also have the chance to win enough games to get them into the middle of the pack. Um, I just don't see that being there with Stanford. All right, let's move to number 11. And Spencer, I'll let you go first here uh, with your second worst team projected in, in the Pac-12. I, I went back and forth here. And frankly, I think 10 and 11 are, are interchangeable for me. I'm going to put Arizona State at number 11 
and and I have Cal one slot above them. And I, I went back and forth on this a lot. I won't be surprised if ASU is better than Cal this year. The reason I still have the Sun Devils low is you don't know what Kenny Dillingham is as a head coach. You see the potential. His offense at Oregon was explosive. It was multiple. It was smart. It was innovative. They did a lot of great things. Situationally, they struggled at times. But I think he brought in a good defensive coordinator in Brian Ward from Washington State. I like that hire very much. I think the Drew Pine addition at quarterback is comparable to Jack Plummer from a year ago for Cal, where it's, okay, look, if you give him time, he can make some plays and he can be fine. He's serviceable, right? He's not terrible, but he's serviceable, but he's not explosive. He's not high level. I, I'm not I'm not sure he's someone who can really carry you to win. So with all those unknowns and it being the first year, I know they've brought in a lot of players via the portal, not a ton or super highly regarded or even were coming out of high school. It's more of a, a volume play, you know, throw stuff at the wall and kind of see what sticks on that front. And I'm sure they'll have some some quality players there. But Justin Wilcox at this point in time is a more proven commodity. Now he hasn't proven a ton, but I, I think that it's it, it can really go either way between the two, but just barely because of the experience, I feel like the floor is lower for ASU this year than than it is for Cal. Spencer can probably see on our, our Google Doc that I'm making edits in real time to my list. I actually had Arizona State in this 11th spot about an hour ago and then moved them up. Um, and, and I slotted Cal into my number 11, uh, which I, I, I think you would agree with in, in some capacity. As you just said, there was a, a tough choice for you as well. I just think that the Golden Bears, I mean, there's just nothing to get excited about right now with, with Justin Wilcox and the roster that he has. I mean, the floor hasn't been very low as long as he's been there, but they also haven't really cracked the top half of the Pac-12 feels like a perpetually mediocre program, uh, at mm-hmm. least where it stands right now. Um, which un- unfortunately, I-, I think the university is okay with that. I- oh, I know they Justin totally Wil- are. Like Justin Wilcox isn't okay with that, and the players aren't. But like the university is fine with them winning five, six games at best, and and that's the problem. That's why I don't think that they're going to get out of the basement anytime soon because, like, he just doesn't have the support institutionally to get things done. And you know, I, I know they made some staff changes this year and. I know he's been looking at the portal, but it it just feels like every year Cal loses talent via the portal, doesn't bring enough in to replace it. They recruit well enough to fill some of those gaps, but the recruiting has gone downhill a little bit the last two years. And that's just why I think, you know, there's no reason to believe that Cal takes a step forward. And and honestly, I don't think that there's enough coming back for them to even maintain status quo. So I think they slip a little bit and, and I think they're competing uh, with, with the other school, in the Bay Area for for the title of worst in the Pac-12 this year. Yeah, I I think Cal is who beat Stanford this year, by the way, in a game where Cal played pretty poorly, still came back to one. I think Cal was much better than their four and eight record indicated this year. Like so they're still a four and eight team, but I think they're one of the better four and eight teams we've seen in the last couple of years. This is a team that took Oregon to you know a, a tight battle at the half and then it got away from them and this is a team that took usc down to the final play usc needed to ice the game with a third down run from caleb williams against the california golden bears ucla squeaked out at the end of the year against cal now they lose jack Plummer, so they're resetting at quarterback but they're resetting their oc 
And the reason I have Cal above Arizona State here, Carter, is I think that's at least a step in the right direction because they needed to move on from their OC a year or two ago. But Wilcox has a history with Musgrave. They're both Oregon guys going way, way back. And they've got ties there. And I think that led to him keeping him on longer than he perhaps should have. But what they've done at quarterback in the portal is interesting, adding Sam Jackson from TCU. And that's notable for Cal because he is a a caliber of athlete that Cal has never had at the quarterback position. I'm not saying hasn't had in a while. I'm saying has never had. He is a dual threat, borderline run first sort of guy who played limited snaps in a wildcat capacity at TCU. And to me, there's the potential there that that could indicate that Justin Wilcox has finally looked at what they've been doing offensively and saying, okay, this is not enough. Their defense was down this year, Carter. It was still middle of the pack. It was middle of the pack basically across the board, except for passing yards allowed, but it was that's a down Cal defense. So if that rebounds a little bit, and they've got Jackson Sermon back to lead the way, who's a really good middle linebacker in this conference, and Wilcox always coaches DBs well, if the defense rebounds just a little, and you bring in a guy who has a higher floor, or a higher ceiling rather, at the quarterback position, and represents a change in their offensive philosophy as a whole, that's the that's the only sliver of upside I can see with Cal. They've added a couple nice running backs too. Losing J. Michael Sturdivant to UCLA hurts quite a bit, but I, I think that it's at least intriguing. And though I see what Arizona State is doing, I, I trust Cal and Justin Wilcox at this point in time, as weird as it sounds, but it's why we're talking about you know teams in the double digits of the rankings here. I trust them more than I trust Arizona State. I think their floor is higher. Their ceiling may be lower long-term than ASU, but I think for this year, I think Cal's a little bit more of a put-together football team. That's the path to a, a, a decent year for Cal, right, is, is clicking on offense, getting a quarterback to maybe unlock something that they haven't had in the past. I think that's the only way that that Cal is even respectable this year. The defense is always going to be good. Like you just said, this was a down year, and they were still like, you know, what, like a sixth best defense in the Pac-12. Like, they're always going to be there. That's what you're going to get with Justin Wilcox um, and, and that scheme that they run there. But offensively, I mean, it, it's just been in Right. Like, that and has it, been a bottom third offense since he took over. Over and over and over again, it's been the problem, which is why the Jackson transfer is so intriguing to me because adding that sort of player – could we don't know yet right it's why i'm intrigued to watch cal's spring game we don't know if that represents a complete rethinking and reshaping of the offense if they're gonna go to jake Spivetall, i think is the guy that, that that they that they hired for their oc position if they're gonna go to him and say okay what we were doing before wasn't working you take the reins he's a guy who has been a head coach so he knows what it means to command a side of the ball and then some so he can handle that responsibility it's an intriguing thing for the Bears. But still, even with that, even if that goes well, I think six, seven wins in the regular season is probably the best they could do. Golden Bears, number 10 for Spencer, number 11 for me. Uh, we flip-flopped our 10 and 11, so I had Arizona State at 10. Um, again, I I had them at 11, then I moved them up to 9, and now I've got them settled in at 10. That feels right just because I feel like it's, it's hedging your bet a little bit with the Sun Devils, right? Because... Like it feels like Kenny Dillingham might have the ability to turn turn things around like pretty respectably in in year one, but it also feels like 
you know, like he's a first time head coach. Like it takes a lot to, to build this thing quickly. That's why I think when we get to Colorado, we're going to be talking about like, what does a successful year look like for the Buffaloes? A successful year for Arizona state might be four wins, you know, like it, it might be three wins. Um, getting, getting any sort of improvement over last year is, is going to be a win because as, as many college football fans know, like year one of a head coach, very rarely does that turn into a Sonny Dykes at TCU situation where, you know, you're, you're making a run at your conference title, college football playoff. Like that's, that's just not realistic. Year one, oftentimes, and, and particularly before the transfer portal, it's about getting your guys, uh, setting your culture. And, and frankly, winning was just kind of an afterthought. Now, Kenny, Kenny Dillingham's kind of following this model of the, what Lincoln Riley did to a, a lesser extent, bringing in, quote unquote, your guys via the portal rather than waiting a couple of years for them to develop after you recruit them from high school. And he's done a good job of that. And he just got Jaden Rashada from high school, from the high school rank. So like he's already proven that he can recruit high school, high end high school talent. He's proven that he can bring in instant impact transfers. And I think that's why I'm a little bit higher on ASU's chances. Um, as to to get into uh, the the four you know three four win range than than Cal is is just that you know or or sorry Stanford is, is just that Stanford can't make those kinds of improvements right, right away but and, ASU and, can and right and, and ASU and Stanford's roster were I think equally terrible and we saw that play out in a fifteen fourteen barn burner on the farm last year in one of the ugliest games that nobody watched thankfully because. Those people still have vision now uh, as a result. So I think for ASU, they have a greater ability to be stronger this year. And I I definitely think I I expect them to be better than Stanford. But for Arizona State, you know, the interesting thing, right? And we talked at the beginning of the show about how it's power rankings, like which team is better than this team, this team's better than this team. Getting into win totals is Again, not not that easy or not always that simple. ASU has their first four games at home. They open with Southern Utah, actually, which should be a win for Arizona State, or at least one would hope. But then they play Oklahoma State, Fresno State, USC, and, and, the, and those are their first four games. And they're all at home. And I think if you're ASU and you want to talk about win totals, just win two. Just find a way to win two of those games. Southern Utah should be. Just win one of the other ones, and then I think they can get to three or four wins. But if they start the year one and three, then it'll just be a you know rebuild and flush it year. You're going to be on the call for that game, ASU Southern Utah, or is that a P- poten- potentially Tempe? They do it. I uh, p- potentially. I've traveled with. I, I handle the TV play by play, so on on radio broadcasts on the road i'll go and do some color commentary work with the with the radio guy chris holmes it's mildly tricky now because the sports talk company i just started working for is a competitor of the station that has the southern utah uh broadcast rights but I, I'm, I'm hoping i'll be able to because who doesn't want to go down to tempe with a college football team yeah fingers <laughs> fingers crossed for you on that one <laughs> Uh, let's move to number nine now, and this is where I slotted the, the fighting Dion's, uh, the Colorado Buffaloes, in year one of Coach Prime. I, I've got them at nine, and I think this is the biggest wild card in the Pac-12 this year, right? Like this this team has the the probably the widest range between their potential floor and, and potential ceiling. I could see them winning two games. I could see them winning 
five. You know, I I, I don't know that, that Colorado is going to be pushing for a bowl game in year one. I, I think that's probably on the high end. Um, I, I'll be honest, I haven't gone and, and looked in depth at their schedule to see how things line up. Uh, but the talent obviously is is improved. I mean, Dion's bringing in like 30 or 40 new guys on that roster. And of course, a, a handful of them were extremely highly rated recruits and, and very good players at Jackson State, uh, where he most recently was coaching. So yeah, I, I think this could be a, a bottom two team in the Pac-12. I think it could be maybe that that best team in the bottom half category. It's just really hard to know where to slot them. Um, it's it's a polarizing team right now for for a lot of reasons. I'm really excited to see oh, I know. how it plays in week one. Uh, they open with TCU, correct? That is correct. In what will be must see television? Yeah, I mean this will be a this will be a great litmus test for for where Colorado's at because if they get blown out by TCU, I think you're looking at probably a two to three win team. Well, I I, I would I'd push back on that because. Week one is for observations, not final judgments. After week one, did it look like Oregon would be in a position where they are, you know, right there for getting to the Pac-12 championship game? No, it it did not. So I agree that it's it's a great barometer for what Colorado could be, but I think you need to see them go through their entire non-conference slate first. Because going at TCU is a pretty rude way for Coach Prime to begin his coaching career. But then when you come home and play a rebuilding Nebraska program and Colorado State, that I think after those three weeks, we'll know what Colorado is is capable of. But I, I am with you, by the way. I have them at number nine, not because of their talent. I have them at number nine. And, and, and in saying that, I mean... I thought about putting them higher because they're going to be much improved at quarterback. They're going to be much improved at defensive back. They're going to be much improved at receiver. They're going to be improved in a number of different areas. But I think this roster was so bad that it needs more than one big offseason. It needs at least two, maybe three, to really be competitive and, and be a 7-8 win team. And the other thing, too, and Buffs fans love to push back on this when I bring it up on, on my Pac-12 show, there is always an adjustment when you go from the FCS to the FBS level. It's always there. It's always, always been there. Very few guys can just seamlessly go over and then start winning and playing at a really, really high level. The only guy I can really think of is is Vernon Adams, who was really, really good. But every other FCS quarterback that, that's come to the Pac-12, Dakota Prukop at Oregon, by the way, mm, he got benched midway through the year for, for a young Justin Herbert. Or you look at Cam Ward at Washington State, which I, I think is a pretty yeah, which is a pretty good comp for Shadur Sanders, by the way. Cam Ward showed flashes of why he has NFL potential. He also made a lot of head-scratching plays and throws and wasn't... I don't think he's hit his ceiling in year one. He could hit it in year two. Now, Washington State isn't in the best situation right now, as we'll talk about here in, in a couple minutes, but he did not hit his ceiling as a quarterback in year one, and I don't expect Shadur Sanders to do that either. So I think there's an improvement there because JT Shroud and Brandon Lewis and whoever else they were starting... Like, it was terrible. I mean, it was really, really awful. So he brings you stability, 
but I don't think he's someone who you could look at and say, yeah, he'll be a top four quarterback in the Pac-12 this year. There's just too many other good ones. Yeah, I think when you look at what Lincoln Riley did at USC as far as bringing in transfer portal talent, I, I think that's telling of why this could take a little bit time, a little bit of time for Colorado. Because sure, like obviously Lincoln Riley turned that USC offense into a juggernaut in, in one off season, but the defense, like it, the defense is going to take a couple of years. And I feel like with what Colorado had left in the cupboard, like you're probably looking at, at more of that kind of comparison. You're probably comparing the Colorado roster to the usc defense as far as how many seasons of of transfer portal and and recruiting high level uh prep players you know it, it's going to take a couple of years to get that roster uh to be extremely competitive because i mean like i said colorado is arguably i mean they were the worst power five team in the country they were arguably a bottom five team regardless of conference like there was i don't know there if there was a power five program that was worse last year yeah yeah, Kansas, I mean, Kansas made a bowl game. Vanderbilt beat Florida. Vandy won like two SEC games. Yeah, Van, yeah. Vandy beat uh, Florida and I think South Carolina were were their two wins. The ACC, I mean, there are some bad teams in there. Colorado is one of the worst Power Five teams of the last twenty years, easily in twenty twenty two. I mean, yeah. they they got they got housed by Air Force. <laughs> Okay, Air Force, a respectable and sneaky good option for the Pac-12 in expansion, by the way. You can go check that out on on my channel if, if you want. Shameless plug. It's very interesting. But that's a that's a solid, consistently competitive Air Force team. They they ran Colorado out of the building. Like that is I I, I don't think I think, and I'm sorry, Beaver fans, to bring this up, but like that Colorado team is only matched by the 1 and 11 Oregon State team. Those yeah. two like where they where they were 1 and 11, but it wasn't an Arizona 1 and 11. It was just uncompetitive. Games were not close. They were run, just consistently over and over again. They just didn't have any they didn't have any games that you look back and you're like, "Oh, they should have won." Arizona went 1 and 11 and you could go to like three or four different games where you say, "Okay, they were in this game. They were in this game. They were in this game. Colorado wasn't that. That's why I think Dion, even though he's recruiting at a high level, which is great for the buffs and frankly great for the Pac-12, it's going to take more than just one year because it, it's not, you know, USC needed a lot of improvements. They got a better quarterback. They got a couple receivers. And that was enough because they did have some baseline level of talent. Colorado just didn't have that at all. 2017 Oregon State and 2022 Colorado honestly extremely similar as far as some of the worst power five football teams we have seen uh i mean this century honestly like kansas yeah. traditionally has been very but, bad but, and but and, those... and and also 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 by the way someone made a correct comment and i i do remember clint i'm a little bit older than i look the zero and 12 washington team and i think it was like 2008 or so those like those three are up there and then you'd probably toss you know, a one or two win Kansas team in there too. And say like, those are programs that we, ju we just haven't seen teams bottom out like that. We've seen them be bad, but not that like that. That's just all a different level. All right, we're going to move on to number eight now. And this is where I've slotted Washington state. This was a tough team to rank uh, just because I think, you know, they've had a really quiet off season. Uh, they finished seventh last year. I, I think they're probably primed to, to kind of hold steady. 
Um, you know, they've, they've lost quite a few players to the transfer portal. Uh, but Jake Dickert, I think, is still a respectable young coach in this conference. I think he's got that program on the right track. Um, but I just I think it's going to take a couple of years for him to, to really get the most out of that program. I think it's kind of a similar, you know, he he started a lot higher than where Jonathan Smith started at Washington State. But when you look at what those programs have uh, traditionally and, and resource wise, like I think it will take a couple of years for him to get the most out of his roster like it did for Jonathan Smith at Oregon State. Um, I, I think it's more likely you see Washington Tate. Washington State take a step backward than a step forward just with how strong the top half of the conference is and and how the fact how there's you know so many teams behind where Washington State finished last year we're talking Arizona we're talking you know Colorado like we just said who are going to get better I don't know that Washington State is going to get a whole lot better this year so I think they're more likely to be passed up by one of those up and coming programs than they are to pass one of the more established programs in the Pac-12 um, one thing with Washington State that I think is interesting a year ago, if we were talking about Cam Ward as like a bottom three quarterback in the Pac-12, like people would have called us crazy, right? Like the hype was there and, and obviously the talent is there. And I, I think he still can develop into a very good quarterback in this league. But I mean, right now with the amount of talent that's coming back, it feels like Washington State doesn't really have the quarterback play necessary to jump into that top part of the Pac-12 as well. So that's why I see the Cougs checking in at eighth. Uh, I, I really could see them anywhere between six to eight. I, I think eight is on the lower end of their range of outcomes, uh, but that's where I've got them slotted. I, I, I'm with you again. I also have Washington State at number eight, and it's more a reflection of the strength of the Pac-12 rather than anything that Jake Dickert has done wrong. Like when you're looking at the best and worst jobs from a coaching perspective in the PAC 12, Washington state is bottom three easily. It is easily a bottom three job in, in the conference, maybe bottom four, you know, depending on how Stanford's able to acquire talent uh, now going forward. Cause I'd certainly put Cal in, in that mix too. But for, for Washington state, you know, a seven, one season is solid. Like that, that's, a good solid that you would have liked to have been better in the bowl game. But going into that, that was one of my few correct gambling picks this year that I was really confident about. And it was Fresno state minus four and a half because Washington state just lost both coordinators. Brian Ward goes down to ASU and Eric Morris goes to take the head coaching job at North Texas. And he came with Cam Ward in the off season, which uh, kind of sucks for Cam Ward now that he's going to have a different OC in his ear this season, but they, they just haven't been able to add a lot of high-level talent or add that much talent, period. I mean, they're last in the Pac-12 in talent acquisition in 2023. They're, they're last. Cal and Stanford won as many games combined as Washington State did last year, and yet the Cougs according to 24-7 and their rankings, have acquired less talent via the prep ranks and transfer portal this year. It's concerning on the one hand, but I think just a testament to to how tough of a job it is to win up there in, in Pullman. And I think in the, the coming years, I, I like Jake Dickert. I really do. Number one, the guy loves Washington State and really cares about it. Number two, I, I think he's done a good job to this point as as both the interim head coach had them on the cusp of winning a, a Pac-12 North title back when that was a thing and followed it up with a winning season. That That's not an easy thing to do in, in Pullman. And so I, I think he does a lot of good things. He's created a clear identity for the team. I think his defenses are well coached. 
but the inability to to add the caliber of players that they need to win at a high level, I, I think is just what will continually hold them back. And I think we could very well look back one day and say, man, how in the world did Mike Leach win 11 games in, in a season up there in, in in the Palouse? It's just really, really tough. And they, they feel like at least a mild pullback team, a little bit like Wilcox at Cal. I, I just trust his defensive schematics too much to you know, say they're going to fully bottom out and win one or two games. But... I, I do think the possibility of them winning five games and missing a bowl this year is more likely than them jumping to eight or nine. I agree that that talent acquisition point that you made is is kind of a point that I wanted to highlight too. Where you know Washington State, even when Mike Leach was there, it's not like they were recruiting at an insanely high level. It's just that Mike Leach was a great coach, um, and and Jake Dickert last year, you know, getting to I, I think what did they win they win six regular season games last year or seven seven they won seven they went seven and five and then they lost their bowl game to fresno state so getting to seven wins for jake dickert's uh first full year as a as a head coach you know he obviously had that interim tag for um more than half of a season but you know to get there with the talent that they have like it's very clear that he's a good coach Mm -hmm. Uh, you know the, the talent level level on their roster for a first year head coach who isn't very good probably going to lead them to like a three or four win season. He got seven out of them in the regular season. I think that's indicative of, of his ability as a coach and and winning it at Washington state. It, it takes a good coach because you're not going to be able to rely on your athletes. Like you might be able to at a Washington, Oregon or USC. Yeah, to- right. total, to- totally agree. And, and his defenses, by the way, buy into what he wants them to do. They play fast. They are ferocious. They fly around. And I think he does a lot of things really, really well. And if Cam Ward takes a step up, then I think they're a seven, eight win team. But if Cam Ward stays the same, it feels like they could be poised for a pullback. Rounding out the bottom half of the Pac-12, I have Arizona at number seven. And Spencer, just based off of the way we rank these other teams, I have a feeling you do too. Um, so I, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll great take mind. Hey, great, great minds think alike, Carter. Great minds Probably. always think alike. Um, I'll, I'll take the, the first stab here and, and just point out the, the job that Jed Fish has done. I mean, the fact that we're talking about Arizona, who was far and away the worst team in the Pac-12 two short years ago, uh, the fact that we're talking about them finishing right in the middle there at, at number seven, and I think, honestly, that the ceiling could be six if UCLA has a down year, um, if, if they take a step back. You know, I, I think Arizona's a team that has always played hard for Jed Fish, and now that you're seeing... The fact that they play hard, he's just legitimately a good coach and and now has recruited very well for for two full years and is, is hitting the portal as well. But 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 really connecting uh, via the via the prep ranks and, and you know, climbing up the at least the 24 seven sports uh, rankings as far as recruiting is concerned. He has raised the talent level. He has gotten a lot out of the guys that he has on campus. And it's clear that. I mean, he has a very strong culture. He's a good coach. Uh, the talent is improving. Uh, you know, unfortunately, they this year looked a little bit like a kind of a farm system for USC. This is something Spencer and I talked about earlier in the day. It's it's unfortunate to see a team like Arizona who's trying to build, you know, its best talent goes elsewhere. Um, but I think it brings back enough and it's added enough to to really take that next step and and, uh, and and emerge as a middle of the road Pac-12 team that I think is going to continue to climb as long as Jed Fish um, 
has has that program on the up and up. Yeah, I, I like what he's done. Mildly concerned, I will say, and I, I do have Arizona in the same slot as you do at number seven. Mildly concerned with the recruiting pullback in 2023. I, I'm not really sure what went down there or why it, it it happened that way because this is a this is a team Carter that after a one and eleven season brought in a top twenty five class yeah. factoring in the portal and now they pulled back this year and they're barely inside of the top fifty they're number forty nine overall and and they lost a couple key pieces to the the portal but I I just I, I, I was curious as to why there was such a drop. I didn't expect Arizona to be top 25 again. That's not what they, they've ever really been. And though Jed Fish is doing a good job, it's still, you know, a really tough thing to do. But I, I just, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to why that happened. I do like Fish as a coach. I think he and Delora go really well together. If Delora can take another step, which I think he did this year, I think he was one of the 10 best passers statistically in the country from a yardage standpoint. He was like sixth or something. He was really good. He's got some really good weapons. They did lose Dorian Singer to USC, which is a bummer. They lost a couple guys who looked like they might have been defensive starters to USC, which is a a bummer for sure and makes it tough. But I'm interested to see what they can do with former Oregon linebacker Justin Flo who unfortunately because of injuries was never able to have the career that he could have had, um, but still is someone who's a, a, certainly a power five capable player. And Arizona has lacked those at times on the defensive side of the ball. And I, I don't think they lack anything offensively. They had what, the second or third best scoring offense in the, in the conference this year? I mean, it, it was somewhere in that range. And defensively, they were just putrid. I mean, they allowed, like, what, 49 points to Cal? I think they lost that game, like, 49-31 or something like that. Their defense doesn't need to be good, doesn't need to be great. If it's just, like, average, just just average or slightly below average, then they could do they, – they, they could get to a bowl game this year. And I think that's the goal for Arizona. One win, five wins, right? You just want to keep going up. Just keep keep plugging away. Can they get to six wins this year? I think they can. That week two game in Starkville against Mississippi State, Mike Leach tragically isn't there anymore. That's a big opportunity for the Wildcats. That offense last year with Jaden Delora and some pretty high-end wide receiver talent, really fun to watch and, and fun to watch uh, Jed Fish uh, improve that roster year in and year out since taking over the job. You know what else is fun to watch? The beaverblitz.com subscription numbers going through the roof. We want to thank everybody for for uh, joining us as we have uh, followed Oregon State's rise uh, to prominence in the Pac-12. And and if you want to join the party, if you haven't done so yet, we do have a 30% off deal right now for your first year if you are a new member. Again, this is for annual subscriptions. That comes out to $6.27 per month. Again, 30% off your first year if you are a new member. We'd love to have you join us uh, as our coverage continues to expand and as Oregon State continues to perform better and better on the football field. uh, It has been a blast to watch our community grow as well. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. 
Citizen sleuths are focusing on the brutal slayings of four college kids. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. This is the start of something major. Follows online detectives as they unravel the mystery of the infamous Idaho College murders. There's plenty of places to hide a weapon. And turned it into a social media phenomenon. Where are the roommates It at? is a huge night. I want the truth from you. Hashtag Cyber Sleuths. The Idaho murders now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. All right, coming back to the top half of the Pac-12 power rankings with uh, Spencer McLaughlin here from the Locked On Pac-12 podcast. Checking in at number six for me, I've got the UCLA Bruins who lose Dorian Thompson-Robinson at quarterback. Uh, I think the offense, you know, it, it loses some key pieces from a team that um, finished a little bit lower in, in the final Pac-12 standings than I think many would have thought based on the way that they played for like 75% of the season. Um, but still a very good team in 2022 um, closes out with that, uh, with, with the sun bowl there. I, I think the season ended a little bit disappointingly for UCLA. That that um, was it, a 10, that was a 10 win capable team that didn't get there. Yeah. This, this, this was a team that was very capable of winning the PAC 12 title and was, I, I think in, in a lot of people's minds knocking on the door of the college football playoff for part of the season. Um, and then, and then kind of crash landed at the end, but I think the Bruins are going to be fine at quarterback getting Colin Schley from the transfer portal via Kent state, you know, whether they use him as, as kind of a, a transition quarterback before Dante Moore comes in. Um, or if they, you know, just give the keys to Dante Moore, I think that's going to be very telling of where that quarterback room is at. Uh, if Dante war, if Dante Moore wins the job outright, I think he's going to be a very good quarterback as a true freshman. If he doesn't, I think the, the, the floor is still pretty high with Colin Schley. Um, who is a, a pretty decent quarterback uh, transfer, again, from Kent State. The overall transfer hall for the Bruins, one of the best in the Pac-12, absolutely. Chip Kelly did a great job of of kind of retooling that roster. Uh, like I said, they lost a lot, but they brought in a lot of really high-end players via the transfer portal. And I think that's going to give Chip uh, enough pieces to stay in the top half of the conference, even though, like, this, you know, in, in most years without the portal, like this would be looked at as kind of a rebuilding year. Um, I, I just think that the work that he's done in the portal, again, some of the best in the Pac-12, um, I, I think that will be enough to surprise anyone who expects a, a noticeable step back for the Bruins. I think they're still going to be a pretty solid team this year. Yeah, I, I think they're they're poised to be a pullback sort of team, a little bit like Washington State, you know, programs where it's harder to win long term they haven't had consistent success and when you build up to one really good year there's typically you know a little bit of a a step back at least for a period of time while they cool off but chip kelly's certainly doing everything he can to ensure that doesn't happen i i do also have them at number six but i think this is a team that frankly it is one of the bigger question marks going into next year because I know that Chip Kelly can call an offense that scores a bunch of points, but do they have enough players on defense, right? They're the opposite of Cal. Like if you blended Cal and UCLA, you'd probably have the best team in the Pac-12. But alas, you don't have that. But Dorian Thompson-Robinson was really good. He was really, really good. Made a mistake from time to time, but his athleticism was such a big part of the offense. And I don't know much about Colin Schley. I don't really know anything, frankly. And we don't know whether or not it'll be him, whether it'll be him or Dante Moore, but whoever it is, he's not going to be the athlete that DTR was, which sometimes was a life preserver for the offense. And Chip Kelly's offenses 
in college have always had a highly mobile quarterback. And Dante Moore is is a high-level thrower, high, high-level thrower for a young guy. But whether it's him or Schley, I don't think either can be what DTR was to the offense this year. So that gives me a little bit of pause because when you look at Chip's best offenses, it's been DTR, super mobile. Marcus Mariota runs a 4.5. Darren Thomas, really good athlete. Jeremiah Masoli, like ran almost better than he threw. So that's something that I, I question whether or not that's going to work for them philosophically. They lose Zach Charbonnet to the NFL, but I, I think they'll be able to have some solid backs. I'm not too worried about that. Um, I love the J. Michael Sturdivant edition from Cal. I thought that should have been a guy the Beavs should have gone after. Maybe they totally. did and it just, it just didn't work out. That guy is really good. He's really, really good. And I'd look to see what kind of chemistry he can form with a quarterback this year. But um, I, I think the Bruins, to me, feel like a 7-8 win team. As we move into the the top five here of our projected, or our way too early, I guess this isn't even projecting anything, um, way too early Pac-12 power rankings, I, I think this is the point now where we've got the legitimate title contenders. I, I think the fact that yep. the last year you saw so many really good teams in the top half and they were all kind of in that mix um and the fact that they bring their quarterbacks back all the coaches are still here like i I think it's very legitimate i think i think it's i think you can legitimately enter this year and say that there are five and maybe six teams if you include ucla who can don't for a a pac-12 title game i i was gonna say i don't either but i think there are people there are people out there who will make the case um but i think it, it comes down to the top five yeah, Checking I agree. in at number five. Now, I, okay, uh, let, let me preface this. I think between six and seven, there's a you know there, there's a little bit of a a, a leap. I, I think in the bottom half, there are some very notable tiers where like this team is like noticeably worse or noticeably better than this team. Top five, top. There six. are good teams and there are solid teams. Yeah, and then there's fifty feet of crap. Exactly. And then there's Stanford. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so the point being, you know, now we're in the like very solid to very good teams. And and a lot of them, I think, are interchangeable. And that's why I'm really high on the Beavers this year. Like, I, I think Oregon State can compete for a Pac-12 title this year. I have the I Beavers agree. at number five. And, and I'll tell you why. I, I think now you're getting to the part of, of the rankings where the margins are extremely slim. So... The difference between Oregon State at five and USC at one could be like two games in the standings, maybe like maybe even one. Like I, I haven't run the numbers to see what the possible win totals are, but like it's going to be pretty slim, I think, in the top four or five. Um, so just because I have the Beavers slotted here at number five, doesn't think I'm gonna doesn't mean I think they're not going to be in the running for a Pac-12 title. I, I think that it will come down to those final two weeks to determine if the Beavs take that next step. Obviously, adding DJU has the potential to send Oregon State to that next level. If the offense takes even a, even like a slight step forward and the defense stays the same, I, I think the Beavs have the potential to win 10 or 11 games this year. But like I said, the margin for error is so slim. Um, the Beavers still do have a little bit of a talent gap. The coaching makes up for it. Like, don't get me wrong. Jonathan Smith, Trent Bray, Brian Lindgren, Jim Holacek, like that group has some of the best coaches in the Pac-12, and that makes up for some of the talent deficiencies. Um, but just on a, you know, you look at the entire picture, 
I don't think I'm ready to say Oregon State's better than Utah. I don't think I'm ready to say Oregon State's better than Oregon or Washington. And that's why I just kind of naturally have to slot them in at number five, even though I think they're a contender. So I'm totally with you on the contender front. I think one through five, if you told me any of them won the Pac-12 this year, it would not shock me. We are continuing to be in almost virtual lockstep here. I also had Oregon State at number five. I look at a couple of notable players they lose from the defense, which I still expect to be good because I don't think that Trent Bray has really made a name for himself as a DC with all this ridiculous high-level NFL talent, but still there were some really good players there. I think losing Omar Spates is is not a complete and total killer, but I think that's a notable loss. And Alex Austin has gone to the NFL too, correct? And that's yep. that's a guy who was kind of the glue. You could maybe argue that it was uh, that it was Jaden Grant, but like those two guys on the back end were really really good. And Spates was there and. Oregon State's defense was was exceptional in 2022, and it led them to to that exceptional 10 win season. And having coaching continuity is is massive. But I do look at what they did defensively and what they bring on the defensive line, and wonder if that's going to be a sustainable model for 2023 because they were not an elite pressure team. And typically, if you can't get consistent pressure on the quarterback, your defense, I mean, they, they just asked so much of that secondary and they delivered. But now when you lose one of those guys, can you replicate that production? I think that's a fair question to ask. Now, the caveat here is that the quarterback position now presents something that's not a known commodity, which is the matching of Brian Lindgren and Jonathan Smith with DJU, but represents the potential to be far superior to what it was with with Goldbrantz in there after Nolan went down. And I think people forgot that Nolan, through those first, first few weeks, take out the USC game and then the Utah game where he ended up getting hurt, he was making the sorts of throws that people are going to expect DJU to make this year, that they need him to make to maximize the potential of the offense. And that was a team that beat Boise State convincingly and got it done against Fresno State on the road and took USC down to the wire. So it's an unknown commodity there, which is why I have them at number five. But they, it, it would not surprise me if any of these five teams or some combination play for the conference title in 2023. Though, you know, this is a power rankings, not who's got the most favorable schedule, because that's a different conversation. But I, I think the Beavs are a pretty solid step above UCLA. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a key point there, because while I do have Oregon State at five in the power rankings, I, I think if if we were project like projecting the the final standings, like I'd probably have the Beavs at number three, just because I think that that schedule helps them out so much. Um, I, I do think, you know, the point you made about the, the defense too, there are some legitimate concerns. I think Trent Bray's coaching ability might cover some of that up. But again, you know, like you said, the Beavers are going to be relying on some new guys to step up. They're not really. Is Jaden Grant still there? I, for, I forgot. No, he is. He is not. Um, That's really tough. only. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you lose a lot there. Um, and again, it comes back to our, our guys ready to step up. All right, we gotta we gotta kind of cruise here. So let's move to number four. And, and Spencer, I'm gonna let you go first here with your number four because I'm really curious to see how you slotted these final four. Um, you know, starting with number five, I, I had a feeling we were probably gonna be on the same page with UCLA and Oregon State at six and five. 
I think there are a couple of different ways you can go with the top four, um, just because I think there's a lot of parity at the top. So um, hit me with your number four. I'm, I'm curious to see which way you went with this. I've got Utah here, and I don't think with their schedule, they're going to get back to the Pac-12 title game. It's way too brutal, both outside and in their conference slate. But I think that Kyle Weddingham has just raised their floor so high. And when I'm going through these rankings, you know, I feel that way about Utah. They're still a really good team, but I don't know if they're quite in the top three. And then I look at how, you know, Oregon State performed against them last year. And I'm just like, I I know that teams are are different a little bit, but I still think it'd be misguided to put Utah below Oregon State at this point in time, even though they did beat them in 2021, of course, at Risa where they get them this year. But I, I've got Utah there at number four. That's where I'm at as well. My rule of thumb is, and this I, I think a lot of people have kind of jumped on this too, like don't bet against Kyle Whittingham because when has he ever not performed to expectations or even outperformed them? Like he is the model of consistency and the model of just like solid program building. Um, and I think that's why I'm confident that Utah's probably not going to take a step back anytime soon. Like, sure, they might not win the Pac-12 title next year, but they're probably still going to be within a game of making or a, a win of making. The it's still and it still feels like an eight win floor. Totally. Uh, it, and again, that's another reason why I have them just barely ahead of Oregon State. I think these two teams are, are probably the same caliber this year, but Utah's just more proven. And, and I feel more confident in their ability to. Uh, to ride that floor of eight wins than Oregon State's ability to ride a floor of eight wins right now. So that's why I've got the Utes at number four. I, I just don't see a reason to fade the Utes. I mean, obviously, they they won the Pac-12 championship this year. They, they, they've they been to the Rose Bowl two years in a row. Like, the model of, of consistency and success is there, and they bring back Cam Rising, who obviously, you know, his health is kind of a question mark right now. Um, but they bring back a lot of key pieces from last year. That tight end room is always going to be extremely solid. Um, again, just the model of consistency with Kyle Whittingham, I don't see any reason to to drop them out of the top four, even if maybe they don't have the same like high-end talent as some of the next three teams that we're going to talk about. So uh, with that, let's move to number three. Spencer, go ahead. I've got Oregon here, and I've got them one slot below Washington for one reason. I think Oregon's done a better job adding – talent to address their needs this offseason a little bit better than Washington who have added a couple of nice running backs uh who which which I think is important for that offense just to have a little bit of balance but Washington just brings back so much but the reason that I have got Washington power rated above the Ducks right now is continuity Will Stein comes in as a new OC Oregon also just lost Adrian Clem their offensive line coach to the NFL and then you have uh, a co-defensive coordinator and safeties coach swap. You lose Matt Pallage to Baylor. You bring in Chris Hampton from Tulane. So I, I think that's that. That's the only reason why I, I I could very easily make the case for Oregon being number two. But I prefer coaching continuity over turnover. So I, I I put Washington just above. I originally had them in a tie, but then when the Clem news came down. And the offensive line is going to be much different than last year. I, I think that's an area where I say, okay, I think I think Washington should have the nod a little bit there. I'm now seeing that we're literally going to have the exact same rankings except for one team <laughs> at the very bottom. Uh, so again, great minds think alike. Doesn't yeah. make for like insanely great podcasting because we're just basically echoing each other's thoughts here. Um, so if you came for 
if you can't if you came for the the espn first take or like undisputed type analysis here yeah we didn't have a producer scripting this out to make us shout at each other we're not we're not out here skipping chance skip skip come on come on skip come on come on skip you're like we're not we're not out here to do that absolutely not um i i have oregon at three or yeah i have the ducks at number three as well um I want to pose this question to you, Spencer. Is this the most complete team in the conference? Because I think it is. Washington's close. Maybe. Yeah, so Washington offense last year, top two in the Pac-12 with with USC. The defense was probably top three or four, two. So I think Washington's in the mix. But from from a sheer talent perspective, like Oregon has to be the most complete team, right? On paper, the answer to that question is yes. But whether or not the results will follow, I think is a different matter. I feel good, not great, but good about what their defensive line could do in 2023 compared to what it did last year, which was fail to generate pressure but be stout against the run. Getting Brandon Dorless back is big. That's an all-Pac-12 caliber defensive lineman. But now you have Jordan Birch opposite him. If that materializes the way it's capable of, I'll feel pretty good about the Ducks defense. But right now, no guarantees who the two starting corners are going to be. And one of the safety slots is maybe up in up in the air. And I think you're banking on a couple transfers to really add some some strength to that room that wasn't and playmaking that wasn't there before. I do think they have the potential to be the most well-rounded. One thing to note though, though they brought in a lot of talent. You lose four starters on the offensive line. It's going to pull back at least somewhat. And their offensive line was out of this world. I mean, literally the best offensive line I've ever seen at, at the at the college level. They allowed five sacks in a season. Some of that was Bo Nix. But even then, you know, I honestly don't think it would have been as high as five if Bo Nix had never gotten hurt. Because I think two or three of them came while he was hobbling on one leg. It was one of the more impressive season-long statistics I think I've ever seen. Just that that yeah. pocket protection by the Oregon offensive line. Georgia didn't sack him for all. Of, <laughs> I mean, that game something. was terrible, but Georgia didn't sack. Like that offensive line was absurd. So I, I I like the guys they've brought in, but defensively, I see the potential, but I'm not all in on the hype train of okay, this defense is going to be top three in the Pac-12. They've got a ways to go on that front. Yeah, that Oregon-Washington game is is going to be one of probably the biggest games in the Pac-12 this year. I think that's going to potentially determine which of those two teams plays in the Pac-12 title game. Could. Again, Oregon State, Utah, going to have something to say about that. Um, but that game absolutely going to be massive. And so that takes us to number two, where I do have the Huskies uh, as the the preseason runner-up in, in my power rankings. Like I said, if Oregon isn't the most complete team, I think it's probably Washington. That USC offense is is probably a slight tick above Washington's, but it just doesn't have the defense that the Huskies do. It was impressive to see Kalen DeBoer elevate the offense to the level that he did and, and Ryan Grubb at, at offensive coordinator in one year, but not neglect the defense that Washington has built up over the last decade. Uh, I think it's Go for it. No, it's their fr- their front four. Their front yeah. four yeah. with Zion Tupuola Fatui and Braylon Trice. Those dudes can be game wreckers. That that's that's the strength of their defense. They need to improve on the back end. I mean, in that thrilling Oregon Washington game that unfortunately went the way that that it did, Oregon was just handing the ball off for mm-hmm. the most part. 
and Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington just couldn't be tackled. I mean, like it was a bad, bad tackle. Like I think Washington secondary, if they just take a step forward, not even a massive one, but a step from what they were last year, then their defense could be really good. Cause the most important places, especially in modern college football to be good front four, back end linebackers are tertiary. It was really weird to see Washington be so porous in the back end of their defense last year, because like that has been the hallmark of their teams for what, like almost a decade now is yeah. like sending at least one safety or one corner to the NFL every year, if not two and, and having one of the best pass defenses in the country. It was really weird to see that take a step backward of Oregon state fans didn't really see that. I think the Beavers had like 70 passing yards on that windy night in Seattle. Um, but that was, that was, kind of a a placebo like Washington's defense was it was really good up front created like you said a ton of pressure it was very solid against the run but uh struggled against the pass now I I think one of the reasons why why Washington took a step forward last year and 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 this I'm curious how much of it was was coaching versus just you know talent on on the offensive side because bringing in the combination of Ryan Grubb and Michael Penix Jr like something, it was like waving a magic wand. Like those two individuals are so crucially important to this offense this year. And that's why getting both of them back is so huge. Ryan Grubb obviously had an offer or, you know, was was contacted or interviewed. Uh, I don't know the exact language. I'm pretty sure he interviewed for the Bama job, turned it down. With Alabama, Nick Saban turned it down, comes back to Washington and his Heisman contending quarterback and Michael Penix Jr. is still there waiting for him. That offense is not going anywhere. Their wide receiver talent is very high end as well. I, I don't think Kalen DeBoer has anything to prove. I think Ryan Grubb is is one of the best coordinators in the Pac-12. Michael Penix, one of the best quarterbacks in the country. That's got that's got Pac-12 yeah. title potential written all over it. I totally agree. And keeping Grubb was huge. He's so sharp. I, I I am really high on that guy. And he said that he wants to be a head coach one day. I fully expect him to. I was surprised his name didn't get tied to the Stanford job a, a little bit more, given that he has ties to Fresno State, which is you know kind of in the the Northern California Bay Area sort of footprint there. But I, I think he is a shoe in to be a head coach come twenty twenty four. And though DeBoer is clearly a good coach and knows what he is doing, Grubb's situational play calling and Penix's ability to execute—I mean, they were second to none. And I, I except maybe maybe USC with Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley, who we both have at number one. But, 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 but the difference there, Penix is not a supreme athlete and he doesn't have Williams' arm. And they were still so good on third down and so good situationally. I just think the way they draw up and execute plays and identify what the defense is doing and then counter something to that, I think is really, really impressive. And you know, Penix and Adunze and McMillan and Pol- like all, all these guys are coming back for Washington. Trice and Tupola Fatui as well. And the defensive side, I, I think that spells, you know, expectation for the Huskies to get to the Pac-12 championship game for the first time since, I think, 2018. And it's funny because this time last year, we were talking about Washington as being like a six to seven win team. Like, I think if I remember right, you went on the record in, in the summer and, and picked them to finish like fourth or fifth in the Pac-12, which felt... No, no, no. I No, I picked them to be much worse than, than that. that. So I, I thought that if Penix could stay healthy, they could maybe go six and six. Yeah. But I didn't think that would happen. So I thought they'd go four and eight. 
Because I just wasn't that high. I just wasn't very high on him at all. I just looked and I was like, I, I, I don't know. They didn't make a ton of changes or whatnot, but the the, the panics was the biggest surprise. Like that was yeah. the biggest thing is I wasn't that high on him coming over from Indiana, but he looks like a completely different player at Washington, and he is, and he's behind a great offensive line that loses Jackson Kirkland to the NFL draft, but it still should have uh, several solid contributors and then some there. And and by the way, they were also top 10 in the country in sacks allowed. And Michael Penix is not as mobile as Bo Nix. So for all the praise I gave Oregon's offensive line, Washington deserves that uh, as well, maybe even a little bit more because Nix can you know run away from sacks. Penix doesn't do that a, a ton. So I, I, I was really impressed with, with what they did this year and how good they were situationally. And they, they should be again this year. And now we'll, we'll get to our, uh, our number one slot. Yeah, the reason I bring up that preseason projection is I, I know you took a little bit of flack from it from Washington fans, but like from everyone else, it felt about right. You know, picking Washington win between four and six games, like that felt like the range, and then they just kind of blow everybody out of the water and and, and put together this incredible offensive season, one of the best passing attacks in all of college football. One the best. best. I'm pretty offense. sure, well, Penix was number one. Yeah, yeah Penix okay. was number with the leading passer in the country. Yeah, so there you go. I mean, Number one passing offense in the country in year one of Kalen DeBoer. Like I said, he's got nothing left to prove. It's he, he was playing with house money for really the second half of last season. Oh, 100%. Um, that takes us to number one, Spencer. We have the same team. Tell us about the USC Trojans. Why are they your favorite? I'm sure we're going to have kind of the same take here as far as the offensive-defensive split, but uh, tell us about USC. Two reasons, and two reasons only. Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, that's it. I don't care who you surround those guys with. It's USC. You're going to have talent. They've got that, and they're continuing to add it. Dorian Singer from Arizona is really good. I'm pretty sure they still have Brendan Rice, who came over from Colorado. I don't know if Mario Williams is is still there. But, look, their defense was pretty bad this year, but they've added some pieces on that front. And if they can be just a little bit better – that was an 11 and 1 team and it wasn't an accidental 11 and 1. They were almost 12 and 0, you know, with that close loss uh against Utah, but then again, they were almost 10 and 2 with that close win in a game they probably should have lost against Oregon State in Corvallis. And I I just I'm so high on Caleb Williams and look at the jump that he made from his freshman to his sophomore year. He had some stinkers fresh his his freshman year. He only really had one last year, and it was against the Beefs. And look, is their defense porous? Yes. But I've also watched Lincoln Riley teams win conference titles without a high-level defense. If I were him, would I have brought Alex Grinch over from Oklahoma? Absolutely not. He had not shown anything on the recruiting, development, or play-calling front to prove that he was worthy of being the DC at, at USC. And if they had, I can tell you what, what's a missed opportunity here. If they decided to move on from Alex Grinch or not bring him in in the first place, you know who just became available because Wisconsin hired Luke Fickle, Jim Leonard, who is yeah. highly, highly regarded for his defensive prowess. And Wisconsin's defenses have always been really, really good. And he's the reason why, and maybe he would have been a one or two year rental before he bolted to the NFL, or been but, a, a head coach. I mean, he was oh, yeah, or yeah, or maybe or maybe been a head coach in college as well. 
if they had gone out and gotten that, it would have been college football playoff or bust for USC this year. But I, I don't feel that way about the Trojans. I don't think the Pac-12's getting a team to the playoff. I think they're too deep as usual, and there's in that one truly dominant Clemson-like or Georgia-like team that can just run away with the conference championship and be a one-loss or undefeated squad. But I, I do think that USC, with those two guys who made a jump last year and is reasonable to expect they will make another jump this year because of how they approach football. I, I just think they're going to be really, really difficult to stop. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a spot on analysis. I'll just, I'll end with this. I, I think the equation for USC right now is you have the best player in the country. You probably have the best offense in the PAC 12. You have one of the best coaches in college football and the defense that like probably isn't going to be worse than last year. I just don't see how all of that doesn't add up to at least getting back to the Pac-12 title game. And most likely, you know, I think as we sit here six, six months before the season starts, I, I think most likely, you know, we're probably talking about USC as the Pac-12 champion next December. Uh, I, I don't know that it's necessarily a legitimate national title contender until it does show notable defensive improvements. Like, there have been teams out there who have proven that you can win a, a, a national championship with offense. I mean, you know, some of those generationally good offenses, LSU, but even then that LSU team with Joe they had Burrow dudes still on had defense. a very good defense. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Derek Stingley was on defense. What, what player on USC's defense is a first round, first round talent. Yeah. I, yeah. And, I and how many, and how many draft Maybe prospects one. are there even in total on that defense? I just, that's why, like, that's what I think is holding USC back from competing for a national title. But as far as winning in the PAC 12 goes, like there is no team better suited right now than USC just with the resources it has on offense. Like it's defense doesn't even have to be that good for it to win a conference title. And that's a testament to the job that Lincoln Riley has done in the span of one year in Los Angeles. It's it's impressive stuff. It sucks that they're leaving the Pac-12, but you know, there's going to be a lot of people this year saying good riddance anyway. So that's uh that's that's where we stand, Spencer. That's we we disagreed on one team and it was Arizona <laughs> State. <laughs> and and we had yes. them we had them one spot apart from each other. Yeah, I think we're I think we're in uh in in pretty much lockstep uh, agreement there almost uh ex- almost entirely uh, across the board. But I I think you make some really well-reasoned points, Carter, and that you laid out your arguments very well and you arrived at uh, conclusions that are only logical and intelligent made by people who understand the situation, clearly. I love the <laughs> word salad right there. Uh, so just, <laughs> just to recap, I'll, I'll run through this really quick, and it's going to be super easy because it's basically the same thing for both of us. So uh, we both had Stanford at number 12. I had Arizona State at... Uh, 10, whereas Spencer had them at 11. We flip-flopped them with California, who I had at 11 and Spencer had at 10. But then they, we, we were the same the rest of the way. Colorado at 9, Washington State at 8, Arizona at 7, UCLA 6, and then uh, rounding out the, the group that we felt were contenders legitimately for the Pac-12 title, number 5, Oregon State, number 4, Utah, number 3, Oregon, 2, Washington, and number 1, USC, those are our way too early 2023 Pac-12 football power rankings. Uh, Spencer McLaughlin, again, thank you for joining us. Thanks to everybody who, who joined us live on YouTube. Uh, if not, obviously you're listening to us either later or anywhere you get your podcasts. We appreciate your support. Spencer, 
where can everybody find your work? Let them know uh, where the Locked On Pac-12 podcast is found, uh, how they can tune into Southern Utah Athletics before we get you out of here. Yeah, well, first of all, I'd just like to point out that uh, you mentioned to begin this show. Uh, <laughs> I knew where that was going. <laughs> that I no, you mentioned earlier that I'm a big golfer. I was on the course earlier today, and this little orange bar on YouTube, combined with my coincidentally black golf shirt, is as close to getting me an orange and black as you're ever going to get in your entire adult life. I I assure you. But if you want to hear more of of my work, Locked On Pack Twelve is available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts Monday through Friday, talking about the latest news. A lot. Of of expansion uh, talk on there as well for our beloved conference of champions. I also host Locked on Ducks. I don't know if it's even worth plugging uh, on this channel at, at this point, but hey, you now, never know. No, now you'll just get a bunch of trolls in your comments. You know what? Hey, troll views are still views, so it's <laughs> whatever, whatever it takes to, to grow the show in Southern Utah. You can watch their uh, their men's and women's basketball games. Anything at home, I'm there on, on the call. They've got a uh, a doubleheader actually this week. The men and the women play on the same day. The uh, women take on New Mexico State. The men are taking on Tarleton. And the women unfortunately had their nine-game winning streak come to an end tonight against UT Arlington on uh, on a buzzer-beating layup, tragically. But they'll be back at it on on Thursday, so you can catch me on the call there. But yeah, good good to talk to you all. Appreciate you putting up with me. Uh, I know some of you Beaver fans may know me from Locked On Pac-12, and I appreciate you tuning in. I talk about Oregon State not infrequently over there because they are continuing to become more and more relevant, which I, I do very much uh, appreciate seeing as someone from Oregon. We at least have that shared kinship of, you know, we're geographically isolated and some things are a, a little bit tougher. I know the programs are still somewhat different, but um, yeah, I, I, I like watching the beeves, watching the beeves grow. And for the Pac-12, by the way, Oregon State needs to be good. Or like Oregon State needs to be one of those teams that can supplement and be and be right there. I think it makes the the conference more fun. But Carter, great to be on with you, man. Uh, thanks for watching and listening, everybody. Spencer McLaughlin, a man of wide expertise. Uh, we will be back next week with Angie coming back for what we believe will be a mailbag episode. We'll ask for your questions leading up to it. Until then, you can follow him on Twitter at Smalls underscore 55. You can follow me at Carter Baines. And I'll talk to you next week for another episode of The Damn Podcast. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, (laughs) nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.